You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Verse 25, there we are exhorted, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Always put your wife first, her considerations first. The book of Colossians, here's another cross-reference for you. Chapter 3 and verse 19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And so gang, with mutual love and respect and consideration, there will be a solution for any problem which may arise. How should a husband love his wife? Well, in today's message, Pastor Mike will share with you about how husbands should treat their wives with love and respect. The Bible tells us that husbands should love their wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love the church? For the church, Jesus allowed himself to die an excruciating death. He was beaten and mocked also that his bride, the church, wouldn't have to endure it. And this is the example set for husbands. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 as he continues his message, Being a Good Husband. Yes, gang, financial difficulties will arise in the home, but we need to face them with intelligent consideration in the way that we are exhorted here in our text, committing their burden to the Lord. Listen, no problem has ever been solved by bitterness of heart and unkind uh, words. We need to just simply address the problem, trust God for the remedy and the answer and the solution to those problems. What we are exhorted and encouraged in the book of Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 19, that God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ uh, Jesus. And that also refers to our financial uh, needs. But notice then Peter goes on. Let's go back to our text there in verse 7. And he exhorts the husbands that they should give honor unto their wives. Now listen, giving honor. A godly husband knows how to make his wife feel honored. Though she submits to him, he takes care that she does not feel like she is his employee or is under the reign of some kind of a tyrant. So giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker uh, vessel. And once again, as I already mentioned, this is a reference to the wife being physically 
weaker than the husband. And thus, we shouldn't expect more from her than is appropriate, you know, considering that she is physically uh, weaker. In other words, we ought to re relate to them in kindness, with thoughtfulness, with courtesy, with chivalry, showing respect to the wife. God has given him for that help me. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. For example, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 5, in verse 25, there we are exhorted, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Always put your wife first. Her considerations first. The book of Colossians, here's another cross-reference for you. Chapter 3, in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And so, gang, with mutual love and respect and consideration, there will be a solution for any problem which may arise. Any issue that you have to face in your life's experience, in your marriage relationship. So, don't let the devil or your flesh wreck your home by needless argument and discord. Practice love. Practice God's love. God is concerned that our homes be marked with harmony. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 9, in verse 9, there we are exhorted, live joyfully with the wife whom you love. Good advice. And so should there be an argument? There will be. You can be sure of that. Settle it immediately, lovingly, prayerfully. Remember the exhortation in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 26. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't hold grudges. Be of a forgiving spirit and a loving heart. And notice then Peter's final exhortation here in this text. He goes on, and this is actually an incentive for being the right kind of a husband, for treating your wife the way that God wants you uh, to treat uh, her. Notice he says that our prayers be not hindered. So this is the motivation for being a good husband. Uh, because we know as husbands that prayer is an invaluable asset. I mean, how many of my prayers, how many of your prayers, if you're a husband, are spent petitioning God for the needs of your uh, family? So therefore, we don't want our prayers to be ineffective. And uh, how would, might they be ineffective? By not being the right kind of a husband. By not treating your wife the way that God wants you to treat your wife. Listen, domestic strife wipes out the effectiveness of our prayers. Prayers that brought peace and comfort are now become cold and ineffectual. And that's why when petitioning the Lord in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, Jesus himself told us that if we are to worship God, if we are to place our offering upon the altar, go and leave the gift at the altar and make reconciliation. In other words, don't allow anything to disrupt your fellowship with God. Anger, bitterness, resentment, gang, our Christianity in the home needs guarding and careful examination. If in the home we cannot love joyfully and unselfishly, we are not right with God. You know, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, said, and I quote, a light which does not shine beautifully around the family table is not fit to rush a long way off to do a great service elsewhere. And so, gang, 
Listen, is Christ in your heart? Well, let him be in your homes as well. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be of one mind or agreeable, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, Peter impresses upon us how the Christian should manifest kindness in their life. And in doing so, here in this text, he sets forth five characteristics essential for the development of Christian kindness. Let me see if you can find them. They're all listed for us in that one verse of Scripture, verse 8. Notice what he says, Finally, all of you be of one mind or agreeable. So that's the first characteristic, agreeable. Uh, having compassion, that would be the second characteristic, compassion for one another. Love, being uh, a loving individual, love as brothers. Uh, be tender-hearted, that would have been the fourth characteristic. And then lastly, be uh, courteous. So, if Jesus, this is the conclusion, if Jesus is to be manifested through us, we need to be agreeable, loving, sympathetic, courteous, tender-hearted, or thoughtful. So those are the five uh, characteristics that are essential for the development of Christian uh, kindness. Okay, so with that said, let me break down these for you. The first of which is agreeable. Let's go back to our text. Notice there he says, finally, and the word finally carries along with the idea that Peter is summing up, he's drawing a conclusion. Finally, he says, be of one mind with others. And again, as it relates to our previous studies, be of one mind with those who are in government, uh, those who uh, we work with at our places of employment, also be of one mind with those in our homes, our spouses, our, our children, but also be of one mind with those within uh, the church. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be of the same opinion. You see, we can have different viewpoints. We can have different ideas about how to get certain jobs uh, done, how to go about it. As it relates to uh, Christian uh, doctrine, we still can be of uh, one uh, mind as it relates to those doctrines that are non-essential Christian doctrines. Like, for example, uh, is it okay to uh, have contemporary Christian music during our worship service? Some people subscribe to that, some people don't. But it shouldn't separate us from any uh, other Christian who uh, thinks otherwise than the way that we think as it relates to the way uh, to worship in uh, music or the style of worship. So the idea here is there should be underneath our differences a common bond of devotion to Christ and to each other, which precludes division and strife. There needs to be an absence of those things. You know, F.B. Meyer, commenting on this subject, said, and I quote, This oneness of mind does not demand the monotony of similarity but unity in variety. So, if God's people should disagree on some subject, let us uh, disagree agreeably. Remember what the psalmist tells us in the 133rd Psalm in verse 1. He says, Behold, or check it out, 
how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. So we need to preserve unity at all costs. Let us strive for unity among believers. Let us be peacemakers instead of troublemakers. You know, at the funeral service of a certain country preacher who during his lifetime had pastored several very small rural uh, churches, someone said in the eulogy, remembering the pastor, he was not, he said, and I quote, he was not an eloquent speaker, but he knew how to make peace between his neighbors. And what a tribute it was to that uh, pastor. You see, not only was he agreeable himself, but he led others into the fruitful life of being of one mind. That's a great uh, virtue uh, and ability to be able to have. We're also reminded of the same sort of thing when Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, let's go on. The second characteristic in the development of Christian kindness that's absolutely essential is to be a loving individual. I mean, think about it. It is impossible to be agreeable, that was the first characteristic, or kind without being loving. Go back to verse 8 in our text for a moment. Peter tells us, having compassion one for another, love as brothers. Okay, there you have it. We're our family. That's your brother and your sister. Why should there be bitterness and strife among family uh, members? I mean, each one of us are ambassadors, or at least we should be ambassadors of love. But that raises the question, and for some of us, the difficulty, how can I love all men? Well, the answer to that question is true love doesn't necessarily originate in the emotions, but rather in the will. It's a choice that we make. So true love is helping and doing. It's a choice that we make. Listen, when a brother or a sister is struggling with some heartache, facing a serious uh, temptation, he needs or she needs us to be there for them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to understand what they're going through. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. Paul also, in the book of Romans now, in chapter 12 and verse 10, exhorts us, be kindly affectionate one to another, with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Gang, listen, will to love. It's a choice. May God help us to be those loving individuals. Okay, the third characteristic of this kindness, we need to be sympathetic. So that's the third in our order this evening. Notice, let's go back to our text there in verse 8. Peter tells us, be tender-hearted. Uh, if you're reading out of the King James Version, it's pitiful. So either one of those translations would be correct. Be tender-hearted or be pitiful. Seeking, and the idea here is seeking to understand the problems and needs of other uh, people. That is putting ourselves in their place. To the extent that we can, as we are exhorted to do in the book of Romans in chapter 12 and verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And so this sympathy that's being recommended here involves more than 
mere sorrow or regret for someone's circumstances. It's sympathy that desires to uh, help. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 6, in verse 10, there we are told, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And listen, let me tell you something. We have been made fit for this occupation. You say, what am I talking about? Well, let me take you to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter uh, 1. God has made it possible for us to be able to uh, be this kind of a, a, a person, to be sympathetic, to enter into people's uh, feelings. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, in verses 3 and 4, there Paul tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Remember, that's what we're talking about, being there for people, comforting them in their needs. He goes on, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by uh, God. So someone is going through a problem, a struggle, a difficulty. Listen, we've been there. And so we can come alongside of that individual and encourage them, tell them what God has done for us. And what God has done for us, we can assure them that he will also do for uh, them. So that's what we're talking about here. So we've been made fit for this occupation. And to be sympathetic, also, I want to remind you that this is to be very much like Jesus Christ, who is extremely sympathetic. I'll give you an example of this. Remember, in John's Gospel in chapter 8, we're introduced to the adulterous woman, the woman who was taken in the very act of adultery, and that she's been brought before uh, Jesus by the Pharisees and the scribes to see how that he would respond. Because remember now, he was known as the friend of sinners. And so would he agree? Uh, would he just, you know, uh, avoid uh, the sin, uh, not cry out against it, that this woman had just committed uh, the sin of adultery? Well, how did Jesus respond? Well, he spoke to the woman and said, Woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He was sympathetic. Gang, the type of Christianity that fails to make us more tender and kind or more sympathetic and forbearing with others, guess what? That's not New Testament Christianity. Let's go on. The fourth characteristic of this kindness is that we are to be courteous. Notice, let's go back to our text in verse 8. This is another essential characteristic of Christian kindness, that is being courteous. What does that involve? Well, that is following the rules of common politeness, mannerly in our associations with other people. Now, someone may be thinking that, well, Pastor, you know, that's kind of trivial, but I don't think so. I mean, this is the way, as Christians, we are to carry ourselves humbly, right, uh, before other people, making other people's lives that much easier. We need to be humble. So, think about this. Let me ask you a question. Are our remarks sharp? Are they cutting? Are our actions thoughtless and inconsiderate? Are they obnoxious? Let us not hinder the work of the Lord because of an absence of courtesy within our lives. Okay, finally, the last characteristic. Notice here, let's go back to our text. We are to be thoughtful. 
And he goes on to declare, not rendering evil for evil. There in verse 9. Now this may be the most difficult of all of these characteristics to develop within a Christian's life. Uh, but how we need to be thoughtful towards others. That is to see them as God sees them, through his eyes. As they really are in a particular situation. They're hurting. They're handicapped. They're disadvantaged. They're without uh, Christ, those unbelievers. And this also includes never paying back or retaliating for unkindness. Notice there in verse 9, we are told, not only is the Christian to refuse to trade evil for evil, but we are to go out of our way to render blessing that is good for evil. And if you think about it, this is very uh, God-like. Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, in verses 38 through 41, there he told us, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And granted, this is not an easy thing uh, to do, but nevertheless, God will enable you by his grace to be this kind of a, a person. Now, also, let's go back to our text. Paul, uh, Peter here, closes out our text there in verse 9, telling us, knowing that you uh, are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Now listen, this is consistent throughout the Old and New Testament alike. Our obedience always draws to us a blessing. If you choose to obey God, you're going to be blessed. Your life is going to be enriched. You can be sure of that. God will bless you for your obedience. But you see, only as we exemplify these five characteristics that we've just treated, outlined for us here in our text, can we enjoy the blessings God sends to kind hearts. And also notice, Peter goes on to declare, ye are thereunto called. Folks, this is the conclusion. Jesus saved us to be agreeable, loving, sympathetic, courteous, and thoughtful. That is to be very much like himself. Okay, so these are pretty high standards, granted, yes. And it is quite a challenge. But as I've already suggested, God will help you to practice this kind of kindness. What do we need to do? Just simply yield yourself to him. And as I've already mentioned, just totally depend upon his grace. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. That's all we have time for on today's edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. 
If you don't yet have a church to call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link, or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to learning more from 1 Peter next time on In My Father's House. Oh